Uh, my name is Beth Kim. I am a shepherd of the ELG Venezuela House Church along with my husband, I don't know if he's here, um, Suman Kim. Um, and we also serve as Village 2 leaders as well. Um, so for those of you who know me, I clearly have uh, um, a difficult time saying no to Pastor Paul. Um, but when he asked me to do this message specifically on stewardship, you know, I automatically relate stewardship with offering and tithing. So I, I thought, you know, there's no better person than our treasurer, Philip Kim, that should be delivering this message. Um, but, you know, through preparing, I, I realized that, you know, stewardship encompasses much more than finances and tithing. Um, and God has really convicted me and taught me through this preparation what it means to be a faithful steward. So that's what I am going to share with you all today. So FCC does a message on stewardship once a year, um, and I know that Pastor Paul and a lot of other pastors don't really look forward to doing a message on stewardship, and that's probably why he asked me to do it. Um, and however, you know, I found out that at least 16 of Jesus' parables, which is around half, um, have to do with people's possessions, money, giving, and ultimately how to be good stewards. The word giving is actually mentioned in the Bible over 2,000 times, um, and that's more than double the amount of times that things like love or prayer or kind of all the common terms are mentioned. So the concepts of giving and generosity are clearly central to our faith and close to Jesus' heart. So, you know, if FCC were to follow the lead of what Jesus, Jesus does and how he speaks, then Pastor Paul's over half of Pastor Paul's sermons would be about giving and, and tithing and generosity. So you guys should be happy that it's just one this year. Um, okay, with that, let's look at our passage for today. It comes from Matthew 6, 6, 19 through 21. Treasures in heaven, do not store up for yourself treasures on earth, where moths and vermin destroy, and where thieves break in and steal. But store up for yourselves treasures in heaven, where moths and vermin do not destroy, and where thieves do not break in and steal. For where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. You know, I've always loved these verses because they remind me to try to have an eternal perspective in life. But I've never really related them to stewardship until now. Um, so let's first look at some definitions of just stewardship in general. The Merriam-Webster Dictionary um, explains it as the careful and responsible management of something entrusted to one's care. And the New Testament word for stewardship actually comes from the Greek word, I'm going to mess this up of course, but oikonomos, um, which basically means the manager of the affairs of a household. So applying that, that concept biblically, the Holman Bible Dictionary defines Christian stewardship as utilizing and managing all the resources God provides for the glory of God and the betterment of his creation. So when it says resources, it's clearly more than just financial blessings, but it's everything that God provides. It's our possessions, our spiritual gifts, our personalities, our time, energy, you know, everything that he's blessed us with. So, you know, he wants us to be his stewards so that we can be co-laborers co -laborers with him. So we hear about that a lot. But, um, you know, we want to work with him to, to finish his work instead of keeping all those blessings um, and gifts for ourselves. So you guys may have heard of the Sea of Galilee. It's mentioned in the Bible. Jesus and his disciples, um, you know, uh, sailed on it. So um, I'm kind of messing the order of this up, but if you can show the map version for a second. You can see the Gal Sea of Galilee at the top, and you can see um, the, the Jordan River kind of flows into it, hits the Sea of Galilee, and then the, Jordan, it, the water in the Sea of Galilee actually flows out of the Jordan River as well. 
So the water is continuously moving. You know, it's fresh, it's vibrant, it's full of life. Um, and then in comparison, you've probably heard of the Dead Sea, which you can kind of see below. It's actually 88 miles south of the Sea of Galilee. Um, and if you go back to the previous picture, you know, it's beautiful. It's very pretty, and people visit there all the time. And you've probably heard, you know, the salt concentration is nine times what it is in the oceans. And so it makes it so dense that you can float in it. So you can literally just sit there and float in it, which is why people love going there. However, the reason why it's so salty, um, if we go back to the, yeah. If we go back to the map, um, is because it's located at a very low elevation. It's actually the lowest body of water in the surface of the earth. So water flows into it, but it doesn't flow out of it. So it sits there and it's just stagnant. The only thing the water can do is evaporate. And so when water evaporates, you know, it leaves its salt content behind, which is why it's so salty. So although it might be fun to float in it, you know, it smells it's toxic, and it actually can't sustain any living creatures. So nothing, it's not living, nothing lives in it. So no outlet actually means no life. All that to say is if we are only recipients of what God gives us and blesses us with, and we don't have an outlet to let some of those blessings out onto others, we are like the Dead Sea. You know, we want continuous blessings flowing in, but we also want continuous blessings flowing out. If not, we know we're not being good stewards with what we've been given, and we become dead sea people, which are essentially dead end people, right? So now that we've kind of defined what stewardship means, which is essentially managing what God has given us for his glory, I feel like we can't really put that into action until we understand the fundamental truths or principles of stewardship. So I'm sure there's others, um, but I'd like to go over four today. So the first is ownership. So God owns everything because he is the creator. If we look at Psalm 24.1, it says, The earth is the Lord's and everything in it, the world and all who live in it. So the earth belongs to the, to the Lord, first and foremost. I'm not going to spend a ton of time here, but kudos to all you environmentalists and recyclists um, that are out there trying to take care of God's earth. I've been trying, you know, one paper towel at a time. I've been trying. Um, and everything in it. So everything in the world belongs to God. You know, I think this is a hard one because you might be thinking, hey, you know, I have a lot of possessions. I worked really hard for them. I got a degree. I made money. I earned them, and I bought them on my own. But when you really think about it, ultimately, who gave you the talents and the skills necessary for you to get that job, to earn that money? Um, you know, everything goes back to God. It all points back to God, and everything that we have is from God. And the third is all who live in it. So all the people on the earth belong to God. So my kids, you know, I may have given birth to them, but, I mean, they're not, they're not mine. You know, they might be our biggest treasures here on earth and sometimes our biggest headaches here on earth, um, but they're not ours. We are simply given the privilege of raising them. So even ourselves, we have to remind ourselves that we are not our own either. You know, we also belong to God. You know, so ownership really is a foundational principle because in order to understand stewardship, we have to understand that God is the owner of everything, we don't own a thing. Um, you know, recently, a couple of weeks ago, our family was lucky enough to go on a, a family vacation together. Um, and, you know, when we pulled up in our car, we unloaded our, our bags, and a bag steward came and took them. Or you've heard the term, like, bag steward or bellboy. Um, and the bag steward came and took them, and then a while later, they magically appeared in our room, right? So for that period of time from when we dropped them off to when they arrived in our room, you know, they were not in our possession. 
you know, they were fully under the possession of the bag steward, right? He was responsible for taking care of them, getting them safely from point A to point B. You know, so he had them in his care, but they were ours. You know, of course, they're our bags, our luggage. You know, he knew that, we knew that. In the same way, as stewards, we have to realize that nothing that we have is really ours. You know, we are merely just taking care of it, just like the bag steward takes care of our bags. C.S. Lewis wrote in his book, Mere Christianity, every faculty you have, your power of thinking or of moving your limbs from moment to moment is given you by God. If you devoted every moment of your whole life exclusively to his service, you could not give him anything that was not, in a sense, his own already. Isn't that so true? So in some ways, the sense of realizing that nothing is ours and everything is God's, it's kind of freeing, right? Just not having to compare yourselves to others. You know, but on the flip side, you realize, when you realize that all of these things are God's and they're not ours, we just have the responsibility for them, it almost makes us want to be more careful and more intentional. So I don't know about you, but you know, if I am borrowing someone else's car or if I'm watching someone else's kids, I'm way more careful than when I'm driving my own car or watching my own kids, whether that's good or bad. But um, you know, when, you're, when you're caring for someone else's stuff, you're, you're likely to even be more careful and more intentional about what you're doing. So um, you, know, you have a bigger sense of responsibility, and that's what brings us to our next point. So responsibility is the second principle that I wanted to go over. And the responsibility is that God entrusts us as faithful stewards. It's our responsibility to faithfully manage what he has entrusted us with. So owners have rights, but stewards have responsibilities. So let's talk about a few examples of responsibilities that he's entrusted with, uh, entrusted us with. You know, I'm sure, again, I'm sure there's a million others, um, but I wanted to go over kind of the five main ones. And you may have heard of them, the five T's. It's time, talent, temple, testimony, and treasures. So let's kind of go over these. So the first is time. You know, time might not be the first thing that you think about when we talk about stewardship, but it is definitely a resource that God has given us to manage. You know, he gave it to us universally, as in you know, he gave it to us all the same. We all have the same number of hours in a given day, right? But it is a limited resource. You know, we only have a certain amount of time here. So stewardship of time relates to how well we use that time that we've been given. And the time here that we have here is not only limited, but it's also uncertain. You know, a few of our FCC members um, unexpectedly lost beloved family members recently in the past couple of weeks. And whether, you know, it's those we personally know or people, you know, celebrities in the news or things that we see, you know, we always hear people passing away suddenly all the time. So we have no idea when these things will happen and whether it will happen to someone else or whether it will happen to us. What we do know is that we only have a short time to prepare ourselves and also to prepare others for the coming of Christ. And so how well are we using that time? You know, a lot of us, and I am guilty of this for sure, you know, a lot of us just try to get through the work week or if you're in school, get through the school week or if you're working at home, you know, get through a, a, a long, hard week with the kids. You know, we just kind of count down the days until we can get to the weekend to relax for a couple of days and then, you know, rinse and repeat, start over and it's the same thing. You know, are we just sleepwalking through life or are we making the most of the time that we've been given here? You know, there's no way to gain more hours in a day. I always wish I could, you know, gain more hours. So we can't do anything there. But what we can do is prioritize um, how well we use the time that we do have. 
We can also try to minimize the distractions that we have in, in our life. You know, how, how long do you spend, I know me for sure, how long do we spend worrying about things that you have no control about? How long do we spend mindlessly scrolling on our phones and you realize you've spent so much time just scrolling on your phone? You know, so we, we always think there will be more time, but we never know. And we have to think, you know, if we didn't have any more time left, would we be able to look back, you know, with God standing by our side and feel satisfied with how well we used our time on earth here? So that is time. So let's talk about talent a little bit. Um, you know, God created each of us with special talents designed specifically for us. And as believers, the Holy Spirit has also, you know, given us spiritual gifts. So the stewardship of talent is related to how well and in which, which way we use those talents that God has given to us. So an author, I think he's an author, um, Leo Buscaglia said, your talent is God's gift to you, but what you do with it is your gift back to God. And first Peter 4.10 says, each of you should use whatever gift you have received to serve others as faithful stewards of God's grace in various forms. You know, it's our job to kind of figure out what our talents are and use them well. It could be that you have a great voice like Joy and you use it to serve on the, on the forest praise team. You know, but could, it could also mean that your secret talent is you're really good at washing dishes or you're really good at encouraging other people. You know, there is no talent that's too small to be used by God. And we, um, you know, the great thing is we're all guaranteed to have some sort of talent. You know, God promises us that. We're all talented. So, you know, if we were all in school, we'd all make GT. So, you know, but God is most glorified when we use our talents to serve him and to serve others. We have to remember that they are not our own and we should not be wasteful and kind of keep those talents to ourselves. You know, they're designed to be used to help and to benefit others, just like other people's talents are, and gifts are used to help um, benefit us. You know, for those of you, for those of us that have kids, you know, I'm sure that we would all agree um, that our kids are blessed in Sunday school because they have Rita Koo and, and Reba, and they're letting God use their talents, and probably their biggest talent is patience to deal with those kids, but, you know, they're letting God use them to serve and teach our kids, and so we receive that benefit. We receive benefits of other people's talents all the time, so in the same way, like, let's not be selfish. It's our responsibility to use what God made us good at or what God has given us a passion for or love for to serve him and to serve others. Testimony. So if you're a believer, um, you know, you have a testimony, testimony um, not only about how God saved you, but, but about how good he is, about all the good things he's done in your life. And if you're not a believer, you know, hopefully you will have a testimony very soon, you know, of your own to share. But stewardship of our testimony relates to how we share God's goodness with others. Like everything else we've talked about, I think there's varying degrees of this. Missionaries are likely great stewards of their testimonies, right? Because they are literally sharing what God's doing in their life with others on a daily basis um, to bring others to Christ. They're truly living out the Great Commission. But the Great Commission applies to all of us, um, and we can all be good stewards of our testimonies even if we're not full-time missionaries. So it could be, you know, sharing with others about trials that we've been through and how God got us through those trials. Or it could just be, you know, using every opportunity given to us um, with the relationships that we already have. You know, even the way we live our daily lives can be used as our testimony and that it's, you know, being responsible with our words or our conduct or our character or even just committing to doing what's right even when it's difficult or unpopular. 
So if we're trying to be an example of Jesus to others, even as imperfect as we are, you know, that in itself is being good stewards of our testimony. Matthew 5.16 says, Let your light shine before others so that they might, may see your good deeds and glorify your Father in heaven. Temple. So you may be familiar with a verse in 1 Corinthians 6, 19-20 that says, Do you not know that your bodies are temples of the Holy Spirit who is in you, whom you have received from God? You are not your own. You were bought at a price. Therefore, honor God with your bodies. So we were all created from God, believe it or not. Um, you know, we were created in his image, and we were feel fearfully and wonderfully and uniquely made. But we are essentially just stewards of our own bodies. We are just renters. And as renters, we need to take good care of ourselves. You know, someone used the analogy of a bride getting ready for her wedding, and, in, you know, she has this beautiful white wedding dress. But, you know, she goes to get in the car to go drive to the, um, you know, the chapel, and she's, like, kind of careless, and there's a thing of mud, and she drags her um, train through the mud, and it gets all dirty. And then she gets in the car, and she's hungry, so they stop through a, a drive through and pick up food, and, you know, she's kind of careless, so she opens and eats it, and there's, like, crumbs falling over her dress and sauce falling all over the front of her dress. I mean, she doesn't have a napkin, so she, like, wipes her dirty hands on the sides of her dress. Um, so you can imagine what her beautiful, white, pristine dress looks like when she gets to the altar. You know, what, you know, how would the groom feel about that? You know, what would the guests think about how well she took care of something, you know, so, so precious on her wedding day? So, you know, good, good stewardship is taking care of ourselves so that God can use us in our fullest capacity. This could mean... Basic things like eating well or getting exercise, getting enough sleep, or men going to the doctor even when you don't want to go to the doctor, um, things like that. But, you know, it's not just physical. Mind, body, spirit, and actually you added from this early service, our identity even. You know, all those things are our temple, and those are all things that we are tasked with being intentional about um, and taking care of as good stewards. Okay, treasures. So, I am going to spend a little bit more time here, um, but this is the one that everyone really associates with stewardship. This is the material wealth that God has blessed us with, you know, whether it's big or small. It's all of our material possessions. You know, being a good steward of these earthly treasures relates to how we spend it, how we grow it, how we save it, and of course, you know, how we give it. So we always hear about tithing um, to the church, and so I wanted to share some history on this. You know, so you know, when I was given the task of, of talking about stewardship, I really kind of wanted to know the history of where tithing came from. So, um, you know, the word tithe literally means tenth in Hebrew. So tenth and tithe, they're essentially the exact same thing. Um, the first time tithe is mentioned in the Bible is in Genesis 14, where Abram, so before he became Abraham, meets, I'm going to butcher this word, but Melchizedek, um, king of Salem. So Abram's nephew Lot um, had been captured, and this was right after Abram had rescued Lot and his family. So the king of Salem had blessed Abram, and so Genesis 14:20 says, then Abram gave him a tenth of everything. So this wasn't due to any law at the time. This was Abram just giving this to honor, you know, to honor the king. And the second mention of tithe is in Genesis 28:22 after Jacob fled his home. So God had appeared to Jacob and promised to greatly bless him. And so in response, verse 22 says, of all that you give me, I will surely give a tenth to you. Again, this was out of, out of his heart of generosity toward God. This is not, 
due to any command or anything like that. But those are the, the kind of first two examples that we hear about in the Bible. Um, the specifics of tithing as, tithing as a mandate didn't come until later under Mosaic law. So Leviticus 27.30 says, A tithe of everything from the land, whether grain from the soil or fruit from the trees, belongs to the Lord. It is holy to the Lord. So kind of note that at the time, their tithe was produce and livestock. Like that was their income, so that was also their tithe. Um, and the tithing system was based on a three-year cycle, which is so interesting. And it corresponded to the, the planting of the crops. So in years one and two, they actually brought their tithe with them to Jerusalem, where they would eat their tithe, which sounds weird because now we typically think of it as currency. But at the time, you know, you could eat your tithe. So they would actually eat their own tithe, but they would do it before the Lord in thanksgiving for what he has given. So if you think of it, it was more like a kind of a, a mandatory vacation and celebration um, of religious nature in, in Jerusalem. So they would celebrate together and eat their tithe. Um, the third year, the tithe was given to um, those in their town. So they would literally give it within their community to the people that, that needed it the most, the people that could not provide for themselves. So th that was giving to the poor. And it really showed how much God cared deeply for the poor. And they would repeat this cycle, so one, two, three, years, one, two, three, again, and then they would rest in the seventh year. So there were essentially three different types of tithe in the Old Testament. So um, there was the Levitical, Levitical, or sacred tithe, which is kind of what we think about tithe as right now. So this is when they gave tithe to the Levites. So if you don't know, that the, the tribe of Levi was the only tribe that didn't receive land inheritance, so they, they didn't have a way to have an income, so the other tribes would give them money. So that this is the money given to the Levites, but it was also given to the priests for their service in the temple and the congregation. So that's kind of the tithe we think of now. And then, of course, the one I talked about, the tithe of the feasts in Jerusalem on years for one and two, and then four and five, and then the tithe for the poor in their own cities in year three and year six. So if you think about it, kind of balancing out all those years and all the different types of tithes, they were actually giving, giving between 23 and 25% of their income. Right? And then on top of that, like, a lot of them gave free giving as well to you know, help out other people. So it actually was around 27 to 40% that they were giving. So it kind of makes us seem really stingy and really greedy now when you think about it. So that was the Old Testament. But obviously we are no longer, I mean, we're not under Mosaic law. And there's actually no scripture in the New Testament that refers to tithe at all. So there's no specific number or anything like that that refers to anything in the New Testament. However, there are several reasons why believers still, still tend to practice this. So I thought there was a really good quote by Dr. J.B. Gabriel, um, and he made this observation. It is unthinkable from the standpoint of the cross that anyone would give less under grace than the Jews gave under law. So, you know, although the New Testament doesn't set any specific figure, 10% is probably a really good place to start. And as we learned earlier when we talked about ownership, it's really not us giving 10% of our money to God or our anything to God. It, he owns all of it. it it's 100% his. It's really us keeping 90%, right, when you think about it. But, you know, tithing, of course, isn't for God's benefit. He doesn't need our money. Um, you know, it's, a lot of it is for, for our benefit ourselves because, one, it reminds us that we need to rely on God for all of our needs. The other part of it is it, it makes us aware of the needs for others, right? So, local pastors, our church, you know, a lot of people function solely from our tithes and offerings. Um, you know, really, I think tithing or, or offering just in general really challenges us to make him the focus of our lives instead of our money and our possessions. 
And it also allows us to show our gratefulness to God. Gratefulness for everything he's provided, not just materially, but just in general, everything he's provided um, in a practical way. But God doesn't want us to give out of obligation. The key is to give cheerfully, you know, regularly, I think is important, and first. Uh, Proverbs 3, 9 says, Honor the Lord with your wealth, with the first fruits of your, all your crops. So, you know, give your first fruits, your best, not your leftovers. And again, not necessarily money, but your talents, your time. Give first, not your leftovers. Um, you know, in, in whatever you, you, know, you got to be. I do want to share a story. I think several of you may have heard, about, heard of this, but, um, you know, I, uh, Suman and I, we have a lot of, um, I guess, testimonies as it relates to faithful offering. Um, you know, we've been very blessed by just faithful giving. Um, and my advice and encouragement, actually, to if you're a student or if you're just starting to work, you know, start early. You know, it's a lot easier to make, make it a practice of giving, like, however much it is. Like, but it's a lot easier to start giving, you know, when you first start working and then, you know, way later in life when you're making more money and, and getting into that practice. But if you get into that practice, it just becomes part of your, part of your life, you know, giving to God first before anything. And so, yeah, I think that's, you know, the one thing that we've been, we've been faithful about doing. And, and God has really kind of shown us, um, you know, his faithfulness back. Um, but it's not always easy, right? So when we first got married, we, we got married kind of late in life. So, you know, we had to pay for our own wedding um, ourselves, and we were dumb enough to buy a house at the exact same time that we got married. So, you know, we spent all of our money in basically these, this one month. Um, you know, we had no savings at the time, and we were broke as a joke. And, but, you know, we were blessed, um, you know, after a couple of months, um, you know, we got, we got pregnant. And so with, with our, our firstborn, Evan, and, you know, during that time, um, I was working at a job where, for whatever reason, I don't, I don't, hopefully there's no jobs out there right now, but um, at the time for maternity leave, they would not give anything. So like you left for maternity leave, I mean, you could use PTO, but you left for maternity leave and you would get nothing like for that entire time. So we have no income on my side for that in- entire time. And so with no savings and half of no income, you know, we were getting nervous. Um, and at those times, it's so tempting to not give offering, to not do that. But, um, you know, we, we, you know, faithfully kept, kept giving. And strangely enough, someone randomly contacted Suman. I mean, it's never happened before and it probably will never happen again, but um, they inquired about if he could do a, a contract job. I don't even know what it was for, but he <laughs> did this contract job. And I kid you not, the amount of money that was in that check was, I mean, it wasn't to the penny, but it was probably within $100 of what we would have, you know, lost during, or not been able to make during that three-month time period. So I was able to, you know, stay home with Evan for those first three months and, you know, not have to worry. So I didn't think I'd cry on a, on a sermon about offering. But anyway, um, I, think, I think the point is, you know, if you give to God first, he will always take care of your needs, right? Okay. Um, you know, so I referenced earlier that giving is mentioned a lot of times, you know, over 2,000 times in the Bible, and this is giving to God and to others. And I think the concept of generosity in general is, is very important. So, um, you know, Apostle Paul used the example to the Corinthians. So if you remember the Corinthians, they were, they were um, you know, rich, they were gifted, but they, were, they did not excel at giving. Um, and so he used, to the Corinthians, he used the example of the Macedonians. Um, and the Macedonians, they were the poorest of the poor, right? And in the midst of enduring trials, they had the joy of giving, 
Um, and because if you think about it, if you're super poor in the midst of trials, they had to have this joy that could only come from God, right? So 2 Corinthians 8.2 says, in the midst of a very severe trial, their overflowing joy and their extreme poverty welled up in rich generosity. So it's not about having resources. Um, whether we have a lot to give or whether we have a little to give um, is not the issue. You know, you don't need a bigger income. You know, we need bigger hearts, right? Um, and God, you know, he, uh, good in, you know, he loves a cheerful giver, but it's because God is a cheerful giver, right? And um, 2 Corinthians 9, 7 through 8 says, you know, God loves a cheerful giver, and God is able to bless you abundantly so that in all things, at all times, having all that you need, you will abound in every good work. So love is behind giving. Like, that's the key part of giving. And if we love and are generous, you know, he will provide for all that we, that we need. So, you know, let's follow the Macedonian, Macedonian example and be generous with our resources. Winston Churchill once said, we make a living by what we get, but we make a life by what we give. Okay, so the third principle of stewardship is accountability. So we are accountable to God for the quality of our stewardship. You know, our stewardship is not permanent. Just like any other steward who is accountable to the true owner, the owner will always come back, and, he, and we will have to give an account for how well we manage the things that were in our care. So if you think back to the bag steward example, you know, eventually we get to our room and we make sure all of our stuff is accounted for. You know, if one of our bags was missing or if it was damaged, we would know that. You know, if it was taken care of and delivered well, you know, usually we'd give a tip or at least say thank you. Um, but if the, if the bags were damaged, the steward, would be, the steward who was in that, the bag's care, they would be held responsible for that and accountable for that. So in the same way, God never gives us responsibilities without expecting us to report back to him on what we're doing. Um, there are two similar parables that illustrate this point. One is in Luke 19, the parable of the Minas. I will let you guys read that yourselves. Um, uh, the other is in Matthew 25, and I won't read the whole thing, but kind of just to summarize, I'm sure you've heard this, but it's the parable of the talents, or it's the parable of the bags of gold. Um, so a man, a rich man, was going on a journey and entrusted his wealth to each of his three servants. So one of the first servant, he gave five talents. The second, he gave two. The third, he gave one. Um, and you guys kind of know the story. Um, he, he told him to, you know, use it wisely. When he came back, the, the one that was given five made five. The one that was given two made two. The one that was given one, he dug a hole and hid the money. I feel like that would be me. Um, the first, to the first two, he said, well done, good and faithful servant. To the last one, he said, wicked, lazy servant, um, and took his bag and gave it to the one with ten. So we can t t see a few things from um, these parables. One, you know, God gives us a lot. He's very generous. Um, you know, one talent back then is, you know, really equal to almost a million dollars right now. So one talent, so he gave one person almost $5 million to take care of and be accountable for, right? So God is generous in what he gives us, but that also means we're accountable for a lot. Um, you know, God also gives to each of us differently based on, you know, what he, what he thinks, you know. So we should never compare ourselves to others. He has a purpose in mind with every talent, every time, every resource that he's given us. And so we're not accountable to how we compare to others, but we are, we are only accountable for how we compare to ourselves, like what we do with what he's given to us specifically. 
Um, you know, and it's not good enough to just not waste what we're given. You know, again, I would be the one to like protect it and put it in a hole so that it doesn't go away. But he doesn't want that. He wants us to actually invest and increase our resources, our talents, our, our giving, everything. Um, and the last thing we can look at this parable is, you know, he can come back at any time. The servants didn't know when the rich man was going to come back. Um, and similarly, again, we don't know when he's going to come back. So a faithful steward gets to work immediately and with a sense of urgency versus waiting for the right time. You know, how many times have you thought, oh, you know, I want to serve in that area, but I need to wait a little bit until I am a little bit more faithful or until, you know, I'm in a better spot or I want to give to this, but I want to, I need to be in a better position where I'm making more money. Like there's no good time. You know, we have to work with a sense of urgency um, because we never know when that time will be. We do know that at some point we will have to answer to him. You know, through Jesus, our sins have been paid for, but we'll still be held accountable for our stewardship and the way we lived our life here. So thinking back to the five T's that I told you earlier, um, you know, how well have we invested our time, treasures, talent, temple, and testimony? How well have we taken care of our children, our spouse, our friends, our neighbors, our parents, um, the needy, etc.? You know, God knows all the opportunities that he's given us, and he also, you know, knows how well we, we've used those opportunities. Um, so I've kind of made accountability feel stressful or scary. I know earlier in the Zoom, <laughs> someone said they felt, like, nervous now, but, or they felt bad now. But it's, it's not meant to sound stressful or scary. Um, you know, you may be feeling like God will be disappointed if you don't go out from here and give all your money to the poor and, you know, you know commit your life to full-time missions or full-time ministry. But, you know, it's not like that unless you've been called for that. But, um, you know, he gives us all different paths. He gives us all different things and gifts and strengths to work with. Um, and he wants us to enjoy his blessings. So 1 Timothy 6, 17 says, we should put our hope in a God who, or we should, yeah, we should put our hope in a God who richly provides us with everything for our enjoyment. You know, it's almost like, you know, I know ice cream is not good for my kids, but when I give it to them as a gift, like, I enjoy watching them eat it. Like, I, I love that they're so happy to have ice cream or to, you know, play with this new, this new toy. In the same way, God, God wants us to enjoy his blessings. That's, it's not, that's not what accountability is about. He wants us to enjoy it, but he also wants us to be responsible um, and accountable for how we use those blessings and how we, we treat others. First um, Timothy 6, 18 through 19 goes on to say, command them to do good, to be rich in good deeds, and to be generous and willing to share. In this way, they will lay up treasure for themselves as a firm foundation for the coming age so that they may take hold of the life that is truly life. I love that, truly life. It's about our intentions and our hearts. Um, and that really leads us into the fourth principle of stewardship, which is reward. So reward is the fruits of good, or the fruits of good stewardship are our treasures in heaven. So even if we are faithful stewards throughout our lives, we will not, or at least we won't be completely rewarded here in this life, but we will be fully rewarded by God. In the parable of the talents, um, I didn't read this part, but the master also said to the ones that invested wisely, he said, come and share in your master's happiness. So Jesus represents the faithful steward as entering into his happiness and experiencing his joy. You know, is there any reward that would be greater than that? I mean, that is our treasure in heaven. So we can choose to accumulate wealth and glory for ourselves here, um, but we know it won't last. And I, I know we talk about this a lot. I think even a couple of weeks we talked about it, but we can't take anything with us. 
You know, we come with nothing and we will leave with nothing because we are only stewards. Again, nothing is ours. Um, which kind of brings us back to our original passage in Matthew. So let's, let me read that one, one more time. Do not store up for yourselves treasures on earth where moths and vermin destroy and where thieves break in and steal. But store up for yourselves treasures in heaven where moths and vermin do not destroy and where thieves do not break in and steal. For where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. So treasures on earth, I mean, our possessions, our accomplishments, our degrees, right? They will all one day lose our value. We know that. We know that those will all one day be destroyed. So we should choose to put our treasures in a safe place where they will last forever and they will even accrue value. Our hearts always follow what we treasure. Um, and many people will think of it backwards. I actually thought, I've always thought about this backwards for whatever reason, but it's not where your heart is, that's where you should put your, your treasure. It's actually the opposite. And I feel like Jesus is almost warning us here about where we should invest and what type of treasures we should have. If we value the things on earth, our hearts will follow that. And eventually we will begin to care more about those things than we care about God. And we'll prioritize those things above God. But if we value the things of God, that's where our hearts are gonna be. Treasure actually transforms what the heart wants. So, you know, it's hard not to get caught up in the things of this world and find treasure in that, but if we invest our treasures where we want our heart to be, it will be there. So invest where you know God's heart is. That's the easiest investment, right? Um, so Jim Elliott actually had a, um, a, a quote, and Randy Alcorn, kind of a, a writer, kind of stole it and kind of moved it, but I, I did like how the title of his book. Um, he titled the book, The Law of Rewards, Giving What You Can't Keep to Gain What You Can't Lose. So that that um, book was actually on, on uh, the verse that I, that I wrote, so I just, I, I just love that. Giving what you can't keep to gain what you can't lose. So in conclusion, um, you know, now that we know more about what stewardship is and the different types of stewardship, I actually wanted to end with practical tips on how, how to be a better steward. But as I was trying to come up with these practical tips, you know, things like start small or give regularly or, you know, use your gifts, things like that. You know, I realized that even those things will become difficult if we don't truly know God's heart. So I know it sounds kind of like a cop-out answer, but the first and most important thing we can do to become better stewards is to know God more. You know, to have a life that is intimate with him. Someone said, a life spent with the master naturally makes the servant a better manager of his affairs. So if we learn more about what God values and the things he cares about, we will naturally prioritize the resources in our lives around things that make, that matter most to him. And really, the things that matter most to him will eventually matter most to us. I'll kind of leave you with one last story. Um, I grew up in Michigan, um, and in Detroit, at the time when I was growing up, there was an airline called Northwest Airlines. It eventually became Delta Airlines. Um, but the, the transition happened around in 2009, late 2009. So in October 2009, there were these two pilots um, that were flying 147 passengers from San Diego to Minneapolis. But when they didn't land at their intended destination, air traffic control tried to contact them, and for 91 minutes, they were radio silent. So 91 minutes is a long time, right, to not answer. So they even had other aircraft try to get in touch with them and figure out what was going on. Um, and everyone was worried. But eventually, the plane landed safely. So no one was hurt. Everything was good. But it had overshot its destination by 150 miles. So it had, you know, flew by Minneapolis and landed 150 miles somewhere else. 
So upon investigation, it was found that the pilots had their personal laptops up with them in the cockpit, and they were like researching about job conditions and about how their job was gonna change, you know, scheduling things um, related to the upcoming takeover by Delta. You know, and they got into this heated discussion with each other, and they were so distracted that they lost awareness of where they were. You know, they didn't realize where they were until 150 miles later, which is really far. Um, so understandably, you know, they were worried about how this takeover was gonna affect their, their lives and their career, um, but they got distracted from their primary responsibility. You know, they lost sight of their greatest duty and made something else a priority at that time, which could have risked the lives of others, right? So in the same way, you know, have we been focusing on the wrong things in our life? You know, have we lost sight of our primary responsibility, our responsibility as stewards of God, and become distracted by other priorities in our, in our lives? You know, in this new year, like truly, like in this even new lunar new year, you know, my hope in my life and for all of us is that we don't waste the time, the talents, the treasures, the testimony, um, and the temple that God has so generously given us. You know, instead, I hope that we invest all of those things so that we can truly build up treasures in heaven and one day hear, well done, my good and faithful servant. Let us pray.